I'm David Madsen, and this is Primetime 89, a chance for me to visit and talk story, check in, and catch up with classmates from a generation ago, finding out how they're doing, where they are, how they got there, and what experiences they've had along the way. In high school, I knew Brooke Mahelani Lee as Brendan's younger sister, but you may know her as Hawaii's Miss Universe. Anyone who's reached that level of accomplishment, literally the best of the best, you know is someone extraordinarily successful. Brooke is so much more. Oh, hi. 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 <laughs> oh, how are, are you? you? Great. Thanks. This is where I shoot my show when we're in pandemics. So uh. <laughs> modern Wahine Hawaii gets shot from a corner of my mother's living room. Oh, your mom's house, huh? Yeah. Nice. So is it nearby your place or? No, I live with my mom. Yeah. Where is that? I, in Palisades, the family house. Okay, nice. And yeah. you, you were going to say? Oh, no, because I bought a house with my Miss Universe money, but I rented it out while I was living on the mainland. I've been in there a long time. I'm sure that uh, your mom enjoys the company. Yes, she likes having the mo'opuna around. So, Of course, of course. Yeah. How is mom? Yeah, yeah. Is- She's good. She's good. She has a whole agenda that she needs me to talk to you about, but we'll do that <laughs> off camera. She's- well, so what am I keeping you from that you would otherwise be doing on Saturdays? Well, it depends because sometimes I'm working on Saturdays. I shoot a show with Lanai called It's a Hawaii Thing, Mm -hmm. which is a podcast. I'm familiar, Um, yeah. And so we shoot it at the Star Advertiser and we shoot it on the weekends because it's a newspaper during the week. So sometimes Saturday and Sundays I'm there shooting all day because we shoot a whole season out in a weekend. So we shoot 10 episodes, five a day. So sometimes I'm there on weekends. Other times we're running kids around. So today a puka just sort of opened up. Oh, very nice. How, how yeah. fortunate for me. How lucky me and, and this. I don't know if you knew this, but your grandmother was mm-hmm. my grandmother's supervisor. at Pearl My Harbor. grandmother. Your oh, grand- okay. So my granny, my mom's mom. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Be- Beatrice Gomes. Mm, okay, that's your mom's yeah. maiden name. Yes, my mother's name maiden name is Gomes. My grandmother was a Robinson, married a Gomes from Maui. Yeah. Oh, Robinson Maui, not not Robinson Niihau. No, different Robinson. Okay. The to the left of those Robinsons. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> the other Robinson. We're the same one, same same side, same kind, same kind. Okay. Yeah. So. There's some crazy pictures of them rolling super hard with like Lili Ukalani and like the oh. Ward family and like these Robinsons, you know, they were on like yachts out at Pearl Harbor and there's like photos of them on the pier that used to be outside the Moana Hotel and <laughs> in fur coats and paia in their little like hoopty rides. <laughs> and I'm like, who are you people? Oh um, they were the, a different side of society. And then my dad, them were like straight up kuaina, like, so mm-hmm. yeah, very different Hawaiian experience that's happening. Sure. Sure. So your yeah. dad's half Hawaiian. Is your mom half? No, she's like uh, a little under a half. My grandmother was half. So she's a quarter. 
And then her dad was a Gomes. He was like, how leave? Like, I would never understand at dinners. I'd go over, I'd be like, who's the ghost? Like, who's that guy? <laughs> He's like transparent. Like, I see veins. Like, that guy's white. <laughs> okay. You said uh, your dad's the Lee side. Your dad's side yeah. is from Molokai. Is that where you get your Korean from? The Molokai Yeah, family? my dad was half Hawaiian, half Korean. Yeah. My grandmother was pure Hawaiian. My grandfather was pure Korean. And his last name was actually Cho. So he changed his last name to Lee because he didn't like his birth father. He liked his stepfather instead. The Molokai Lees are really related to Cho. So they lived on homestead in Ho'olehua and raised like 11 kids on the homestead. So when people come up to me when I go on this universe and I'd go to Korea and do things because I'm the only Korean, you know, to ever won. And so Korea got really excited. A lot of Lees would come up to be like, we're related. I'd be like, is your last name Cho? And they'd be like, no, it's Lee. I'd be like, I'm not related to any Lees that are Korean. The only Koreans I'm related to are Cho's. All my grandfather's brother's last names are Cho. He's a faux Lee and a real Cho. <laughs> a couple of the kids went to Kamehameha um, and boarded. Uh, my father wasn't one of them. He went to Molokai High. And then he came to Honolulu to go to college and met my mom. Um, mm-hmm. And then he got drafted and went to serve in Korea. And then um, my mom started having kids. She had my oldest brother, uh, who was class of 79. And then she had my brother and me. So Okay. So there's a big gap between your first brother and your second brother. Yeah. My dad was gone. I don't think he was there when he was born. And then he was there. wasn't there. Didn't come back until he was maybe two. I'm not Uh sure. And then I think they were just so busy, like buying a house in Palisades and, you know, getting Mm -hmm. themselves acclimated to being a family and that my middle brother didn't come along until seven years later. So Mm -hmm. what were family get togethers like for you? My father's side of the family is off of Molokai. So growing up, we would go over to like one of the uncle's houses because everybody settled in the Pearl City area mostly. So we would be at one of the cousin's houses like maybe once a week for family dinners. And then big holidays, Thanksgivings, we're usually at Mark Ellis's house. Christmas is always up here in Palisades. And, you know, it could fluctuate between, I think the smallest we've ever had is maybe 35 but the largest can be up to 200 people depending so we saw go to Molokai mm-hmm. for the summers a lot and ship the trucks over because we would be camping um down in Maomi beach and going up to halava to pick ID and it was the 70s and the 80s like you didn't have nintendo you didn't have internet you didn't have like That's all you true. had your cousins was the internet <laughs> Your cousins were Twitter. That's how you found everything. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's, you know, a stick in a bush, you know, you just kind of, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, around yeah. whatever. So, yeah, we camped a lot. We went to Kualoa, like, yeah. And then everybody was in civic clubs. You just got carded somewhere and you didn't complain. And then you got put to work. That's just the way the seventies and the eighties rolled. <laughs> we were literally indentured slaves. Like I remember being six or seven correlating like resolutions with high powered seventies, like staplers, which had to staple through pieces of paper this big, but here's me and my brother, like just, you're doing all the papers. You're like, yeah. And you're doing that like 500 times. And that's just what we did. We were like Dobby, the house elves of the Pearl Harbor Hawaiian city club. (laughs) Um, And and then they, they gave you clothes. Yeah, okay. and yeah, but that's how we learned. That's just what we did. Like, you didn't really have a choice. 
we don't do babysitters. (laughs) (laughs) This power stapler is your babysitter. You can't stand on the side. If you're in this family, (laughs) they will (laughs) suck you in. There's no way to be Switzerland. There is no way that you could just be like, I'm taking a pass. I'm yeah. tapping out. They're like, yeah, that's not in our no DNA. Chance. Get in, get in the fray. You know, I know, you know no... just, just being around your mother. Yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah, wow. Yeah. You, you know, she just gets you excited about doing stuff. Yeah. Like, she's just like, that's, she's a force in nature. Mm. Not even a pandemic could slow her down. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned people who you knew outside of school, like your church and from people in the community. You know, what church was that? My father was Mormon. My mom was Catholic, but she converted. So our family was a raised Mormon. So in ninth grade, you go to seminary and you go every morning, like before at school. 6 a.m. before yeah. school. And so because I was at Punahou, the closest for us was at the base of the back of Kamehameha schools. Yeah, yeah. That's that, that new one. And I, I was there, too. Yeah. yeah, so it was all of us, but it was mostly Kamehameha because Kamehameha was right there. Mm-hmm. And then some of us that went to other schools. So that's how I knew yeah. most of that crew of kids because mm-hmm. we were like at the crack of dawn in the mornings every day and before school. And back then it was like, if you went perfect uh, attendance for four years, you get like a full ride or something was the mythical thing that your parents would dangle in front of you. If you don't miss a day, you go four yeah. years straight through, you're going to get a full ride to BYU Hawaii or something. So there was always that pressure of like, wow. you better get up, you better go. You were attending seminary for the better part of high school, like all four yeah. years? Not all four. Uh, after my father passed away, my junior year, I stopped going. I think Cause I mostly because oh. he was the one who would get up and drive me to go. So that was part of it. Brooke had wanted to attend Kamehameha schools like her brother as long as she can remember. So much so that she tried year after year to get in. And to her brother's surprise, she did. Even before she was accepted to Kamehameha. Well, Brooke can explain it better. I've known Kamehameha schools my whole life. My mother is class of 59. My grandmother is class of 40 something. My oldest brother is class of 79 from Kamehameha schools. My brother, Brendan, who everybody knows, he was class of 87. Class of 89 has adopted him as a class of 89 (laughs) classmate. And then they were both 13 year seniors. And I was the sole one who I tried every year since kindergarten to get into Kamehameha and never got in, was on all the lists. You know, it was weird. And then I got into Punahou. And mm-hmm. so I started going to Punahou, but sitting on the Kamehameha side for, you know, football and then wearing the Kamehameha ribbons at Punahou on my jeans. And so I was that weird kid who went to Punahou, but didn't want to be at Punahou. And, mm-hmm. and when I went to go and take the test every year, every teacher I met at Kamehameha was like, I see you go to Punahou. I'm like, yes, I do. They're like, and you're taking the test for Kamehameha. I'm like, yes, I am. And they're like, and that is because I was like, because I want to go to Kamehameha. By the time I got in, everybody knew me because I auditioned for Concert Glee, ninth grade, 10th grade, 10th grade, didn't get into the school, but I did get into Concert Glee. How does that my, work? Uh, how do you even book an interview if if you're not? Oh, uh, Mr. Noble loved me. All the other concert league kids all knew me from Mormon church and going to seminary and whatever. So I just would show up over there and walk up the stairs and go sing my country to the And then my brother, I guess his senior year, he checked because he had tried for concert league senior year. Yeah. And he was like, why is my sister an alternate second alto? 
Why is my sister on the list? She don't go here. And I'm like, oh, God. You know what would have been insane is if they let you perform with the concert. <laughs> Although you you weren't even a student there, just you know because yeah. in spirit you know you were part of the family, you know. I mean, I think I had to like bring you know some cocoa puffs or something for Mr. Noble the first year because he was like, "You don't go here. Why are you auditioning?" I'm like, "So I'm planning in case I get in. I want to make sure that you know once I get in, I'm already in." And he was and- like, "There's that crazy girl from Punahou auditioning again." <laughs> Yeah. I guess it's sad to say that every year I was always just waiting for the one person to get kicked out where I was just like, maybe I'll make it in this year. Maybe. Um, well, you know, that almost happened to be me a few times. So, well, I didn't want to mention it. Last <laughs> but my senior year, my father had passed away. And so I became an orphan. And so it bumped me up the list. So Wayne Chang then's office called my mom and they're like, hey, there's an opening do you think she'd come for senior year? And my mom was like, I don't even think I need to check, but let me check. <laughs> and so she's like, do you want, I'm like, didn't even get the words out. I'm like, yes, yes, I do. Aww. She's like, it's only going to be one year. I'm like, I don't care. I will jam 13 years of experiences from Hololia to concert glee to dance ensemble to Hoike in one year. You were in a lot of things and, and involved with a lot of things during that senior yeah. year. Yeah. I hit the ground running. Like I had a plan, but I also had to take a bunch of junior classes. Mm-hmm. So I had to take them in order to graduate. I mean, I was more excited about concert glee. Mm-hmm. Um, like that was like the end all be all. Like people would just mm-hmm. look at me like I was insane. Cause most of them had been in concert glee for a while. Mm-hmm. So they were being like, we gotta do nani ki again. Like what? And I'd just be like, I'll do it. Let me do it. I'll get in there. Put me in coach. And they're just like, here she goes. But, you know, I was like, I got to get it all in. I got to get everything done. When they told us we were going to be going to Fukuoka, I was like, okay. We were on the stage, like seeing the big jumbo screens. And, you know, we were performing some of the stuff we did from Hoike. Mm-hmm. Um, that was cool. And then there were a lot of Hawaii people there in the audience um, that we got to catch up with afterwards. So it was mm-hmm. really nice to be able to go on the trip and sort of extend our youth a little bit. And so it was yeah. fun. Is there any teachers that stand out in your mind that, um, that, you know, really made a difference or left an impression with you? I mean, obviously Mr. Noble, because he was like my obsession since I was like, you know, little, because I always wanted to be in concert glee, but I had an English class. She was really nice. And um, I remember we, I won some random like letter contest we had to you had to like write a short story about christmas or something uh-huh. and so i just whipped something up we came back for break and she was like had manapua in the room and like congratulations brooke you won Da-da-da-da-da. you get a like a u.s bond and yeah everybody gets to have manapua and i didn't even remember writing it really <laughs> so then i was like wow when i am under like when i'm in the clutch I can pull some stuff out. <laughs> that's that's really the thing. It, it works for the me clutch. too. You know? It's it, the clutch. It's when it, you're in the clutch and you're squeezing a cola and you're like, I got to really produce something here. That's, oh that's my God. when you focus. That's right. Yeah. And then Sherman, of course, in the dorms, because I hung out with Bubba them all the time. And so he was the dorm advisor who was yeah. everybody's best friend. So, <laughs> and then I did the cooking Hawaiian style with Lanai and 
I was looking, the guy before me was playing the ukulele and they were calling him a kahu. I'm like staring at this cat and I'm like, I swear to God, I know this guy, but he ain't no kahu. And then he comes <laughs> off and it's, and it's Barrett Hawaii. And I was like, oh, Barrett. Lord. And then he got a little embarrassed, I think, because I was like making such a big deal about the fact that he was a kahu because I was like, brah, when he was in school, <laughs> brah. <laughs> and I was just like, okay, relax. We're all adults now. I found my way. Hey, I do youth ministry. He goes, and ain't nothing those kids tell me that I can't. It's like, I'm not clutching no collars. Anything they tell me, they're like, oh, I can't tell you. He's like, brah, trust me. <laughs> This kahu, you can tell them anything you like. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I can second that. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, he's the guy. I was the first in my family to get a college degree. Really? Um, both of my brothers never completed their uh, their years. So my mom didn't, my dad got drafted. They were both at BYU. They both didn't get their degrees. And so then they got married and then she left to go work in the workforce while he was in Korea. So it was really important to her that I get it, especially after my father passed away. Mm -hmm. So that's why we were doing the pageants because we didn't really know how I was going to pay for it because my dad was the breadwinner of the family. Um, And the pageants sort of solidified my ability to get a degree, but there were many opportunities during that, that I could have stopped and traveled and, you know, gone and modeled and whatever. And she always was really adamant she's like you know the degree is important you can always go and model you can always go to do those things you can't always come back and get a degree sometimes life happens so you should make it a priority so I did so graduating was a big deal let me play the devil's advocate because um just just for fun so I consider myself pragmatic and so understanding how successful you've been hugely (laughs) successful in just about oh, every other geez. area of your life. <laughs> Do you think that your life would be much different if you didn't get your college degree? Mm, I mean, I think in the profession that I'm in, perhaps not, but mm-hmm. I do know for a fact that having to slog my way through Chaucer and writing papers at it, with a BA in English Mm-hmm. From, for a girl from Pearl City who caught the 53 bus to school every day and transferred in town to the number four, you know, no one can take that stuff away from me. And being able to write has been a saving grace long after the crown was no longer on my head. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think college really pushed me past my comfort zone as a local pretty girl in Hawaii, because a lot of times when you're blessed to look a certain way, things are not expected of you. And I knew that in the modeling profession, that's probably why I fell in love with doing pageants is because being a model, no one cares what you think, because you just have to look a certain way and fit into clothes and no one's asking your opinions. And the minute someone asked me my opinion about something, it was literally like a light went on. And I was like, I'm allowed to understand and participate and have an opinion about adult literacy and, you know, Hawaiian issues and, you know, what's happening here in Hawaii, what's happening around the world. Mm -hmm. And so getting a degree just sort of gave me the opportunity to explore things that I wouldn't have asked myself otherwise. I would have never opened a Chaucer book in my, I wouldn't even know what that was. I'm from (laughs) Pearl City. You know what I'm saying? Like Joffrey, Joffrey Chaucer. Yeah it forced me to look at the world in a way that wasn't so myopic 
know, being at Punahou, it taught me to push myself and to be okay with not being the best at everything. Mm-hmm. And then when I went to Kamehameha, it was like literally like I was Wizard of Oz. And I, if I were the lion, it gave me my brain. If, if I were the Tin Man, it gave me my heart. I finally put all the pieces together and I was like, I can be smart and I can be Hawaiian mm-hmm. and I can learn all of these issues and I can do all these things. Do you know the difference between the Miss America and the Miss USA pageants? Did you even know there were two different pageant organizations? Next, Brooke tells us everything we need to know about the two. How, now how I did you get in into Hawaii? the pageant scene? I mean, I dabbled in it in high school, but mm-hmm. I was really bad at it. I only did it because like friends did it, and then I didn't place or do anything. And then um, after my father passed away, I needed money for college. Mm-hmm. So I was running in the Miss Hawaii America system because you sure. get free money for college for just running. Mm-hmm. So my first year that I ran that year, I was Miss Downtown Honolulu or something. And I won like a $17,000 scholarship to Chaminade. Like I didn't even place that year. And then every year I just kept running so I could supplement my my scholarship and get my degree debt free. Oh, so yeah. yeah, so the pageants were really an end to a means. And then I wasn't good at it. I never won Miss Hawaii America. And then on a lark, I decided to run for Hawaii USA. What's the difference between America and USA? The America system is for a younger girl. It's like 18 to 24 and it's Mm -hmm. all scholarships. So it's all money for school. You have to be enrolled in school to go. School Mm -hmm. has to be your primary focus. It's scholarship driven. And then Miss Hawaii USA is purely a commercial pageant. It's all cash. And then I ran for Miss Hawaii USA on a lark. And Mm -hmm. then won. And then winning universe was like, we just lost our minds. Everybody just lost their minds. Yeah. It was strange. Yeah. I guess so. I mean, the the strangest thing was that someone who I actually knew was on that stage and and (laughs) won. (laughs) Yeah. I know. I get that from a lot of classmates. Like they all know where they were. They're like, I can tell you exactly where I was when I was like flipped on the TV. I was in college at such and such and or wherever. And I'm like watching you walk across the stage. And I'm like, what? When, you know, I I saw it unfold, it was just crazy. (laughs) When I won USA, like in Shreveport, Bossier City, like two people came, like my mom and my stepdad came and that and the pageant director, like nobody came to Shreveport because I was just there to represent the islands, hand out some macadamia nuts. We didn't think anything of it. And then I won and, you know, it exploded back here. And when I went to universe, I was so like, I guess over it, maybe, I don't know, because it was such a tumultuous year because Donald Trump had just... He had just bought the pageant when we went to Shreveport. And Mm -hmm. so his then wife, Marla, was the host of the pageant. And it was his first full pageant and he didn't know what he'd gotten into. And so we were all staying at some walk-up hotel in downtown Miami, which was like in a really sketchy area of downtown. And my cousin, Damon Diaz, Uh he literally would come down every day to walk me. He's like, this is literally like Hobron Lane. He's like, you guys are literally staying on like Hotel Street. I can't even believe that they're bringing 80 something, the most beautiful women in the world to stay in this crack den. This is a dangerous area. Um, The girl who was Miss Universe that year had gained some weight. And so he was Mm -hmm. doing all of this press stuff with her and 
calling her a lot of things he wouldn't be able to get away with in today's, um, you know, zeitgeist. But at the time he could, because there was no Twitter, there was no social media. And so he had been so rough on her and Mm -hmm. whatever. When we did the Miss Universe pageant, they put in that, oh, Miss Universe should be held to a weight clause. Should the next Miss Universe be held to a weight clause in her contract? And it was like a 1-800 number you could call um, Mm -hmm. on the screen for people to say whether or not she should. And we'd been rehearsing all week at the Miami Convention Center. And that call thing was never in the rehearsals. So oh. we never knew anything about some weight clause or should the new Miss Universe until we got to live night. And sure. so when they started hyping it during the beginning of the show, I started to just get a little annoyed because he's about to give up the title. Why we got to keep harping on this stuff? From that moment on, I was like, if I get to the end and there's a way that I can formulate something to say something towards that, then I'm going to take a shot because I'm already Miss USA and I don't care if I win universe. So when we got to the end, as we progressed, and then when I walked out of the um, isolation booth, like it was like the perfect storm. They were like, if you had no rules in your life, what would you do? And I was like, wow. Okay, Kupuna, (laughs) I hear you loud and clear. I got you. I got you. I got all you. I got all you. And so that's why I was like, I would eat everything. And people just Twice. lost my like lost their minds. And then I was just like, drop mic. Bye-bye. I didn't think yeah. I was gonna win. Win, win or lose. Win or lose. You said what you yeah. have to say. So yeah. I was just like, I hear you, Kupuna. I hear everybody. I'm taking the shot. It's gonna be what it's gonna be. So and the yeah. crowd erupted. I mean, well, everybody lost their minds because nobody yeah. ever says that. I mean, there's too much on the line. You know, there was a lot of drama around the pageant back then, mm. and so I mean, I knew what I was stepping into, but I didn't think I had a shot. So I, I was just a local girl from Hawaii was just calling people out on their stuff, and that just happened to resound with. I guess the judges. Yeah, that's just that, how it was for me. That is a crazy backstory now that I think of that last question and your answer yeah. to it. I mean, a lot of people thought I was just being like, you know, carefree and flipping and or, or a lot of other people read into it and thought I had like an eating disorder and they were like, oh, she must be starving herself. And I'm like, I'm from Hawaii. That's not a thing. <laughs> you said that, you know, you would eat all the food in the world. I will eat everything twice. So what is that food? What I'm going to do is I'm going to throw out a type and you Mm -hmm. tell me what it would be. Okay. You ready? Oh, okay. Noodle dish. Wow. Um, It would have to be like probably cake noodle from house of dragon here in Pearl city. I like the crunchy noodles. Yeah. Anytime anybody like orders the cake noodle, you know, they're on the inside track. You guys are classy. All right. All right. A dish with rice. Any dishes with rice. Like that's pretty self-explanatory, isn't it? Like everybody eats everything with rice, don't they? I mean, you shouldn't because it's not as healthy for you, but we do. And, um, I don't know. I eat everything really with rice. I mean, beef stew, chili, fried chicken, a little bit of gravy, tonkatsu. Rice is just a landing pad really for the katsu sauce. You know, you just go from the katsu to the rice just to take the little bit of the dribbles off before it gets into your mouth. And then you pound the rice after as a chaser. Oh, bro. Take the the edge off. All right. A fish dish. 
fish dish. Yeah, this is going to seem really like a confessional, but like I don't eat raw fish. Don't eat pokey. Don't eat okihi. Don't eat sashimi. Can't do it. Would have been a really, really starving ancient Hawaiian person because I don't eat any of the raw stuff. (laughs) All right. A meat dish, like steak, burger, whatever. Simple. Yeah, no, no. I'm full-blown Korean. So it's a tie between Mm -hmm. meat jun, which you can't get really anywhere other than Hawaii, and like whatever kalbi, mama kimchi, two girl. So Mm. that's like a go-to, even though it literally have to take out a mortgage in order to get the um, the kalbi plates these days. But Mikjun, if you're lazy and you don't want to like have to gnaw it off the bone, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, the kalbi is really like where the fortifying is at. So (laughs) I love that. It's something about the, the fat around the bone and the bone. Like, you know, you're like trying to be like all dainty, but you can't really got to like rip that thing off. And then people look at you and judge you if you just decide to defer and leave all that wasted meat attached. Of course. <laughs> high pressure yeah. situations. Yeah. yeah. I, I never leave anything on the board. Never. Always. Yeah. Last one, dessert. Desserts are its own meal. Like when you go to eat, like you don't have your plate lunch and then order something after, unless you're Chang like I am. And then if you're at Zippy's and it comes with the meal, <laughs> you're not going to turn the jello down. No. I don't know. Dessert's really going to just be whatever anybody brings. You're an equal opportunity I don't judge if it's an apple. I'm cool. If it's coconut, I'm a little angrier than I would if it were apple, but I'm still going to eat it. I'm not going to hate on it. If it's malasadas, cool. But if you bring the binka all day, (laughs) all day, it's just Filipino mochi. Sure. I can handle that. If anybody brings mochi, you're like my best friend. I'm seeing a theme here. So basically when you said you would eat all the food in the world, you literally meant all the food in the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like from the minute I was crowned Miss Universe, any plane I got on, yeah. if the flight attendant had seen the pageant, which, you know, 90% of them had, they would serve me all my meals twice. I would get two cookies. <laughs> I would get two desserts. And they wouldn't even say anything. They would just like bring They're it and then like, giggle oh, yeah. and, and walk away. You'd be like, ah, you I saw wait. the pageant. I get it. I got you. I got you. We know why Brooke. Miss Universe left Hawaii in the late 90s. But what do you suppose brought her back to the islands? So, yeah, you were talking about the mainland and and you lived there for a while. What took you to the mainland? Literally winning Miss USA. Like I Mm -hmm. left Hawaii. um, I left Terminal 2. This was pre 9-11. So everybody was there. Uh, We all sang Hawaii Aloha, put me on a plane to Shreveport, Louisiana. I went with like a bag. And then like a box, because, you know, we're local people. You got to have a taped box full of makana. So I went with that and the box. I got to Shreveport. I gave away all the ukana to everybody. And then I had the bag that had my clothes for competition and, you Mm -hmm. know, to not freeze my okole off while I was in Shreveport in January. Mm -hmm. And then I never came back. I like won the pageant through I won USA and then literally left to Toronto, I think, for the Special Olympics Mm -hmm. at Lake Placid. I came home once as Miss USA before I left for Miss Universe for like a homecoming thing over Christmas, maybe. And I did an Emmy Island special thing. And then I left and went back to the mainland and then I stayed there. I was there. But didn't you bring back the Miss Universe pageant to Hawaii one year? 
I did. When I was crowned in Miami, mm-hmm. I think that was when we sort of started the first formulations of thinking about it because the convention center was in the final completion phases. And so me being from Hawaii and born and raised dancing, gigging in Waikiki, you know, marketing Hawaii is always close to my heart. So mm-hmm. me and my mom in the penthouse at the Fontainebleau where they shot Bodyguard, you know, we started formulating in our little Hawaiian brains, you know, wouldn't it be awesome if we could bring the pageant to Hawaii so you could give up the title there at the new convention center and, you know, show Hawaii to the world, really. Mm-hmm. Then we just learned the process as we went and put Hawaii into the mix with a bunch of other countries. And at the time, Governor Cayetano and Joe Blanco and, you know, Viricelli, who was at um, Hawaii Visitors Bureau at the time, mm-hmm. they all hopped on board and we just tried to make it work. And so yeah. I was proud to be able to host it and have all these girls come to Hawaii. And it did really well for Hawaii. It was a great marketing opportunity. Mm-hmm. So Hawaii learned a lot about the European market. They learned a lot about, you know, what kind of people were interested in coming here. And they made their money back. So that's all I could be happy with. So good for you. So I was an auditioning working person in LA before I had kids. And then when I had kids, I had to keep doing that because kids are expensive. Sure. Um, and I've taken my kids with me to auditions because just a babysitter for a 20 minute pop in for a commercial is just not worth the money on the ROI. So there have been times where my kids have booked the commercial just from being there and I didn't. So they'll just be in there with me and then I'll get a phone call from my agency and they'll just be like, did you take your kid? And then I think I'm in trouble. I'm like, I had to, I couldn't find someone to watch them. They're like, no, 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 no. They want to book your kid. And I'm like, oh, cool. So we'll be like mom and whoever. And they're like, no, no, they don't want you. (laughs) They just want your kid. And I was just like, wow. Okay, cool. All right. So that happened like twice. My son did it to me as a baby. And then my daughter did it when she was like three or four at a Pizza Hut commercial. She just barged it in there. and was just like, I'm like, sit in the corner. Don't say a word. And she yes. was just like, super cute. Maybe that's the director and whatever. Good for so her. She, she booked it and I did not. So your daughter, how old is she? My daughter is humanly seven, <laughs> mentally 25 or 26. Oh my God. Um, yeah, she's a handful. Gotta love it though. She's uh, like her dad. N- not her Very, mom. very, very shy, howly individuals who don't want shy wallflower types. They're very like, hi. Yeah. Hello, my baby. Hello, my darling. Yeah. <laughs> They're seven years apart. My son enjoyed all the attention for the first, you know, half of his life. And then she came and stole the thunder. And so Funny. he liked her until she started talking. So, so your husband, what does he do? My husband is a jack of all trades, really. He um, works in production. Mm-hmm. He's born and raised in Hollywood. That's his mm-hmm. Hawaii. And so he's worked in the film industry since college. Mm-hmm. And so he ended up at Roddenberry Productions, which are the people that created Star Trek. Star Trek um, and he yeah, was there. Yeah, so his son Rod is a childhood friend, actually, of Tori's. They all grew up together. Hollywood, I learned after being there for so long, it's really like Hawaii. Everybody grew up together. Everybody knows someone famous because they were all in school together or went somewhere together. So Mm -hmm. he worked for Roddenberry for like 10 years. 
And then he branched out to do some other work with some other friends. And then we moved here on the Lark. You know, you kind of have to just do what you can as much as you can because things are expensive. So mm-hmm. I think I have like five jobs at last time I counted. <laughs> <laughs> Price paradise, they say. My son was going to explorations. And so we came home for a vacation to do the explorations thing. And then my daughter was on the wait list for Kamehameha preschool because preschools in LA are so like hard to get into and super expensive. And so we'd put her on the list and thought, well, we'll, we'll see if she gets in, then that's like a sign. Um, and then while we were home, right before Ho'omaikaikai, we got the letter in the mail that said, hey, congratulations, your daughter's been accepted to uh, KS preschool at Kapalama. Sure. And they're like, you know, we need an answer by tomorrow. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> Wait, what? And so we like had to make a decision. So we're like, I guess we're moving. I guess that's the universe telling us that this is a sign to move. I think this is the jump. So we just stayed and then slowly moved all of our stuff over from California. And then we just sort of built the plane as it was flying kind of thing. Wow. I guess that's a great analogy, but the joy of flying that plane must have made it. Yeah. I mean, it was rough for them. Mm -hmm. For my husband, it was a bit of a rough transition because he's never lived anywhere else. And my son, he was suddenly thrust into a public school and, you know, he looks local, but he doesn't talk local. And it was rough for them the first year and a half. Whereas my daughter took to it like duck to water. I mean, you know, she was white as the driven snow, but, you know, was brown on the inside and couldn't be more happier. You've done a lot of things in your life, but what's among those, if you could choose that were Hmm. really meaningful, what would they be? Hmm. I mean, I guess bringing the Miss Universe pageant here was, I was really proud of that moment only because bringing it home to Hawaii, showcasing the convention center, have all these girls participate and understand what Hawaii hospitality is like. So, I mean, that makes me proud. When asked about the meaning of Hawaii and being Hawaiian, interestingly, Brooke's answer was grounded in today and the future. What does Hawaii and being Hawaiian mean to you? For me, it's just about making sure that things are fair and that people are treated with respect mm-hmm. and the culture is treated with respect. People have to find their voices and their ways to proactivity. Because with my mom, them's generation, it wasn't really about the activism. It was about what do we do about it? Because they're from the 50s and the 60s where it was like, we can protest, but then what? Where, where is the metal meet the road? Whereas now, you know, there's a new generation that has been raised, two or three actually, that question the rules and question the box and question why do we have to do things a certain way? Because just because they said that's the way we got to follow rules, that doesn't necessarily align with Hawaii's now or who we are as people. So why are we following rules that we never had to had a chance to help make. So I find myself having to straddle between conservatism and understanding and respecting the way things were done and honoring the new up and coming generations of verve and anger towards a system that they don't really want to prescribe to and then find a way somewhere in the middle to have the two halves find a a middle ground where actual progress can happen because they can't happen on either side. Mm. They happen somewhere in the mediation. 
mm-hmm. which is, you know, something your family knows a thing or two about. So the, the struggles of it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It could be an interesting conversation to have to work toward a solution or just people with ideas. I mean, you know, yeah. I think what I learned from my brother them at the AHA, it's really a more about people being able to listen to each other and accept that there is more than one way to do things without mm-hmm. judging that if you side with this side, then you're not with me. That's really not how Hawaiians are in general. We aren't a cut and dry kind of people. We couldn't be. We wouldn't have made it to the islands if we were. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're adaptable, always have been. And we always keep in mind that there's more than one way to pound the poi. So we compromise. That's how we communicate. That's what Aloha is about is like tolerance and we can all live here together. Mm-hmm. It's just the way we've functioned. And that's why we're who we are. And my grandmother made us do it all the time about the, like, like even the most manini things, but it really taught you to be like, it's not about you. Like you don't care that your cousin's upset and like, mm-hmm. you just want to go and do your thing, but you're going to sit here and you're going to listen to it. We're going to talk it out. You're going to say your thing. She's going to say her thing. You guys are going to hug and honey. And we're going to walk away. It's like, why do we have to do that? Because if we don't, you're not going to speak to each other for two years. And then that's going to turn into 10 years. And then people are going to take sides. And it's like, becomes an issue. Unless you just call a duck, a duck, say that you were being so-and-so and they were being so-and-so agree that to disagree or whatever you're going to do and walk it off. And so as much as I hated it, it really became a skill because it pushed you out of your own, your own id. And you're just like, oh, okay. Which grandma was this? My oh, Moloka Iyama. Iyama. Mary Lee, the one who was an activist and chained herself to rocks at Kaho'olave with, with George uh, Helm and all of them. Yeah, that, yeah. those were the days. Man, so if there's you, any need for yeah. Ho'oponopono, that, that would be it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you, you grow up knowing that your dad can build the ships. Yeah. That bomb Ko'olave and your grandmother can be the one fighting for Ko'olave and everybody still loves each other. Everyone still sits around the table. Everyone still eats the akubone. It's, it's all good at the end of the day. Everybody just sits in their sides and try to understand each other and where they come from. And we're yeah. still going to be family. At this point in our lives, oh, we're all yeah. reaching a milestone. <laughs> with, with the big five. Are we, are we, are we, meet, are we meeting milestones? Is that what's happening? That's that, that's that what, what I call that's called? it. I call okay. it that. That's the my positive spin on things. It's a monotone. Okay, let's go with flavor. that. <laughs> I so, so, what does turning fifty mean to you? Oh well, it happened in January, so it was a bit of a process, and it happens. There's nothing you can do about it. To me, it's just a number. I don't feel like I'm fifty. I mean, you don't look like you're fifty. Not even close. <laughs> Yeah, but I've got like filters on and I got like 50 Kardashian lights going and like a whole ton of makeup. Still, so. still not even close. But I guess you got to embrace the suck at some point. So, yeah, <laughs> it is what it is, I guess, is the that's, short answer. That's true. You know, being 50, that means that I'm just that much closer to being retired. Mm, yeah not in hawaii (laughs) that's not a thing here my mom's 79 and still going there ain't no retirement in sight so what are you looking forward to in we'll say five years 10 years you know the next five or 10 years my job that i do with monohini hawaii i get to interview you know some of the brightest women here and abroad who are doing wonderful things for Hawaii and about Hawaii. And 
being able to have a show like I have and for me to be able to shine a light on women's stories and what they're doing in even the quieter ones that people didn't even know were happening that really is exciting to me because I just am so proud of all of these people that are just doing it for the sake of doing it they're not doing it to get a trophy or you know money or they're just doing it because it needs to get done and somebody needed to step to the plate that's what Pauahi teaches you to do if you get called you can't say no like you literally can't say no. <laughs> so, you know, my show got picked up for two more years. So mm-hmm. I'm gainfully employed to mm-hmm. do Modern Wahine Hawaii. And I just like finding the stories and um, elevating the people that are out there quietly doing the hard work that don't mm-hmm. really get the attention they should. And so that really gives me a lot of satisfaction. Well, what a wonderful opportunity to be in a position like you're in. Yeah. I mean, that's why I tell people when you leap, if you leap for the right reason, somebody always catches you. I came home for explorations. Like I didn't come home thinking I was going to get a deal at a TV station. To Basically you came stories. home for like shave ice and it's like, I okay, came home with here. one bag. I came home with <laughs> one piece of luggage and had to slowly move my world after 20 something years of living on the mainland. Wow. But you know, the opportunities find you if you are open to letting them find you. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much, Brooke, for spending all this time, you know. I know, I didn't believe it, classmate, when you were like, I'm telling you, the hours are going to fly by. And I'm like, yeah, you want to see it, classmate, because I do podcasts in an hour and we can barely get. And I wasn't doing much talking myself. I, I was thinking, oh, I could say this, but no, you know, Brooke's on a roll. I'm going to just let her go with this <laughs> because. I hope you enjoy this episode of Primetime 89. I'd like to thank our guest extraordinaire, Brooke Mahelani Lee, for taking the time to talk story with us. I'd also like to thank everyone who helped put this together. Jamie Barboza and Nicole Barboza Yoshimitsu, Wendy Brown and Kaylee Aquaro, Dana and Drake Kao. And a special thank you to Drez, Dwayne Andres for the music, and Elizabeth Matson with production and editing. I'm your host, David Matson. Be sure to like us and follow us at Primetime 89 Hawaii, where you can see photos of our guests and their stories. And subscribe to get the latest updates and news of upcoming episodes. And join us again with another classmate on Primetime 89.